Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound Radio Show, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I still need a better W word than wearying. I keep saying I'm going to look it up. I, I need to sit down with my dictionary. And tonight we will be... Uh, oh, jeez. Sorry, my script got screwed up. I'm Robert Winfrey. I'm your host. That's can't believe I forgot that. Uh, tonight we will be reviewing UFC 221, which uh, would have been a pretty solid fight night, and instead was a really lackluster pay-per-view. Uh, we'll be going over the main card for that, and of course, you know, going through results from the prelims. We also have a double preview lined up for you this evening. We have to preview both UFC Fight Night 126. I believe it's Fight Night 126. It's uh, Cowboy versus Medeiros. Yeah, 126. And UFC on Fox 28. The fight, uh, the fight Night card is next Sunday evening. And neither this show nor my coverage are good enough for me to do both at the same time. They're tolerable when I can devote as much time as possible and as much concentration as possible to each of them. Trying to do both at the same time would be a massive, massive catastrophe. So uh, won't, there won't be a show next week unless that's not. A, no, no, it's an evening card. It's not a weird start time. And then that Saturday, there is the UFC on Fox card, which is. You know, I, I don't understand the logic behind what the UFC is doing with their Fox cards in their, you know, contract and negotiation year. But uh, these these last two have not been compelling affairs. I know the and we'll go over this a little bit. I know the Orlando card lost its original main event, but even with that, it was it's pretty thin. Uh, so we'll go over all of that. Any major news items that happened to break during the course of the week, of course, uh, all the usual stuff. If you would like to have a question or a comment addressed by myself or Jeff, Jeff's with me this evening, uh, you can either call in at 323-657-0901. You can leave a comment on the Rattledge and Broadcasting Network Facebook post where this player is embedded, and you should follow that just to stay up to date on stuff like this. Or you can, if you, uh, I, I don't really understand why I keep doing this, but it's on my script. 
Or you can tweet me personally. I am at Winfrey MMA. That's W-I-N-F-R-E-E-M-M-A. And I will, I am happy to respond to reasonable questions, criticisms, complaints, comments. I like to think I'm a reasonable human being. So if any of those mediums happens to be within your wheelhouse, that's and you feel like there's something you want to bring up, by all means, happy to address it. All right, with that out of the way, here with me again, I mentioned earlier, 411 Mania's Jack of All Trades. Uh, nice to have him back. Again, last week we had that weird start time. Jeff Harris is here. How you doing, Jeff? I'm the interim champion of the Ground and Pound radio show. I'm Jeffrey Harris. You joke, but I'm pretty sure the UFC will mail you a belt and ask you to defend that to main event UFC 225. Without making weight. We're an open weight class here. Open weight in term champion. I like it. Yeah, it's uh It's open uh, neither of us, for interim titles. Neither of us wanna really go through the hassle of cutting weight. It's a terrible process. All right. Uh last night from Western Australia, I have some gripes with their commission. I really do, and uh, I I want to address that. <laughs> uh, UFC 221. This was originally supposed it's to be. It's hard to believe Australia has an athletic commission, but they do. But uh, th- let's each state. Yeah, this is this. This is yeah, the each same Australian state has a different commission. This is a different commission right, so... than the one that screwed up the scoring for Johnson and. Which commission uh, is the one for Perth? Uh, Perth is under the Western Australia Combat something or other. Because there's three or four different states that make up Australia. And Western Australia is different from uh, the one that governs Sydney and the East Coast. Um, up, It was only like 12 months ago that Western Australia permitted MMA bouts to be contested in a cage. Uh, prior to that, they had to be contested in a ring, which is why the UFC had never gone there, because MMA in a ring is dangerous and stupid. So there's the Australia Sports Commission. Yeah, again, each state, uh, each state has its own. Again, commission is just uh, parlance for it. I mean, they all have different names and titles. Yeah. But, uh, but Western Australia only again, so, like twelve so, months ago, allowed so fights to be in a cage. So basically, we know that multiple Australian athletic commissions are incompetent now. This one uh, is pretty bad. Yeah, it's it's more their judging policy, which kind of baffles me. Um, there were some weird scores last night, which is bad enough. Like bad scores happen, uh, but the apparently this commission has a policy where they don't announce which judge gave which scorecard and there's some other like level of, I think I, I want to make sure I see. Yeah. I'm looking at MMA decisions and the scorecards are unknown. We just we yeah, know they the scores, don't... but not the individual scorecards. Yeah, the Western okay, it's the Western Australia Combat Sports Commission. It does not release the names of judges or how they score each round. Ugh. It, it which is it, it's ludicrous. Like that is just ridiculous. Well, maybe they're trying to give them some sort of anonymity because 
maybe they want them maybe they're trying to protect them from public scrutiny i don't know well apparently like i i maintain that like the brits captured clucky like 6 months ago and shipped him off to australia as part of their outdated prison meth you know shipping criminals to Australia and he's just been living in Perth for the last several months hiding from me. Well, and there were some bogus uh, scores last night. But I don't think that's the a, wrong guy won any of the fights. Though. No. I I don't either, which makes things slightly weirder. There were weird scores. Yes, there were weird scores, I agree, but not but like to me it's weird like when you have a split decision and you have two judges reverse, like reversing the scores, like one thirty twenty seven one way, one thirty twenty seven the other, and it's a split decision. That's what really drives me nuts. These were weird, yeah, but I, I, I mean, I suppose it's yes. a step in the right direction in the sense that no, yeah, the, right. you know, nobody got robbed of a decision, but but that's not God, that's they not were the stupid. Least of my pro- that's not the least of my problems last night. Um, so yeah. Uh oh. Calling in, I believe we have Pat Mullen here. Oh, this great. Is the New Jersey area code. Uh, Pat, is All that right. you, or am I going to look like an idiot live on air? <laughs> Those are not mutually exclusive. Very yeah. true. I was about to say. Uh, hello, gentlemen. And I will echo the sentiments of I can sort of take solace when the right guy gets a decision. However, the idea that two judges can have a score completely opposite of each other in the same fight is troublesome. And the frequency it would with which it happens is more troublesome. Yeah, but well, there's again, there's a few scores we'll get into specifically as we move into this card. In fact, both of the decisions on the main card, I am of the opinion, have at least one bogus score. Uh, but in the main event, Joel Romero knocks out Luke Rockhold in the third round. Um, uh Romero missed weight for this fight. He came in officially at 187, I think 0.7, 187 and change. Uh, So he was not eligible to win the vaunted, coveted, interim middleweight title. Um, Somebody pointed out a funny circumstance that could have arisen. Had Luke Rockhold won, and then Robert Whitaker defeated Luke Rockhold, he would have been a two-time interim champion and the actual champion without ever defeating a champion, which might be an unprecedented series of, like, title wins, at least in the UFC, I mean, various other promotions, but, uh, again, Romero missed weight, wasn't eligible, Uh, this was a really, there were some interesting things about this fight, um, the way Romero adapted to checking low leg kicks, which got his leg broken, but is really the only way to deal with that kick if you don't want to lift your leg completely off the ground and go on one foot, which is a dangerous thing, especially if they're throwing a low kick. Uh, they, You can easily be capitalized on for picking your foot off the ground. He just turned his knee over, so they actually met shin to shin. Um, he cut open Luke Rockhold's shin on one of those checks in the first round. Uh... Romero wound up breaking his shin, uh, again, on one of those checks in the first. Uh, Rockhold's leg was pretty badly banged up after the fact as well. Uh, it, but that's really the only way to t- kind of deal with that kick effic- effectively, I think, unless you – that I know of. I mean, there's probably some other way, but it's a nasty kick. Uh, Romero's 
I did not give Romero's striking defense enough credit going into this fight. Uh, he has really interesting things he does with his hands to kind of negate your punching offense. Uh, Luke Rockhold showed off, showed off a much better jab this time around. I mentioned in my coverage that it was his lazy lead handwork that kind of got him in trouble, and I feel that's oversimplifying things. And I want, to it? Eh, I want to address it specifically as it pertains to the finish. Uh, so Rockhold showed off a jab, whereas before he had been kind of pawing with that lead hand. Now it was a lot more straight line punches, which is a good thing. Um, just a lot of kickboxing from both guys. Uh, I don't think either guy could afford to go for a takedown because they're both good at stopping them. They're both good in scrambles in different areas, mind you, but... Whoever wound up on bottom of either of those two was going to be at such a severe disadvantage that they just decided it wasn't worth the risk, which is a fair assessment, I feel. like Because if you're under Rockhold, you're basically dead. If you're under Romero, you're basically dead. And getting either of them down is a hassle. So they both kind of just made a tactical decision to keep it standing. Uh, in the third round, Romero threw a double jab, and this is one of the things that uh, Jack Slack pointed out, and I uh, that Luke Rockhold's primary method of countering when you when in the face of aggression is to back up more in a straight line than at an angle, and throw a lead hand counter hook. In his case, being a southpaw, it's a right hook. Now, that's a great technique. It's one I actually need to improve on. I am, far, I am not liberal enough with my lead hand. I'm far too reliant on my power hand, my rear hand. And it's a good technique, but he doesn't really have a, another one. That's kind of all he goes to. And his propensity to bite on feints means that he throws it and can be punished for it. I mean, David Branch is far from a world-class striker by any reasonable definition of the term, even Mike Goldberg's version of it, which is, well, I can close a fist. Uh, he was able to punish Rockhold for that same habit pretty consistently before they closed distance and Rockhold got him down and finished him. In this case, that double jab from Romero, as the second one was coming, Rockhold was firing that counter hook, and it left the center line basically open for Romero's left hand, even though it was horribly looped, it still got there first because he had control of the inside line. Clobbered him, he kind of face-planted into the fence, and then one more uppercut from Romero just for good measure. That was all she wrote. Um, I have a few other things I want to touch on for this, but... Uh, Pat, since you're Romero's guy, I'll let you go first, and then we'll because uh, I know Jeff has a fair number of things he wants to get off his chest about this, and I want to give him an open forum to do so. I assume, you, you and I were talking a little bit before this fight. I know you pick Romero almost exclusively. Uh, what did you think about this? Uh, what did you think about how Luke Rockhold looked in defeat? How did Romero look in victory? Uh, you know, the basics. Well, you pointed out that one of the things we saw from Rockhold was a much better jab than what we're used to from him. Um, instead of a pawing, you know, single jab that was brought back at waist level, 
he doubled it up. He threw it with authority. He had his foot, his knee's foot placement when he threw it was much sharper. That being said, the things that stuck out and why Romero was able to win this fight were cutting angles correctly. Romero actually used better footwork than what people want to credit him for having in the first place to set this up. He was cage cutting quickly, single steps and half steps throughout. And because of that, that's one of the things that was able to negate Rockhold's counter method that you so accurately pointed out of being a step back hook with the lead hand. That's why Romero was able to get away from that eventually. I was surprised by either man not truly committing to try to take one or the other down. More so from Romero, as I feel he's a better takedown artist and has the stronger overall grappling game. However, when we found out he had a broken leg, that made it much more understandable to why he didn't go for that, especially with the potential of ending up underneath Rockhold, where Rockhold's game is at its strongest. The impressive part, of knocking out Luke Rockhold the way he did was it was essentially an arm punch because he could not properly plant with his legs and shift his weight due to the broken leg. That means the man was packing some serious power in that shot. He utilized feints more so than I've ever seen him use them. They were very unorthodox feints. At times it was like he was doing a bad dance or a taunt, but when he did them, Rockhold reacted each time, and he didn't react differently. Once Romero was able to see him give the same reaction two to three times, Romero knew where he was going to have opportunities. That's how that windmill left hand connected that spelled the end. Rockhold performed better than I thought he would when the pace was slower. I thought the slower pace moments would favor Yoel Romero because he's able to pace himself at that point and build up. And for all the knock there's been on Romero's cardio, this is his fifth or sixth, I believe, third round finish, where the knock on him is that he doesn't finish well late. But you're talking about the latter stages of a regular fight, the mid to late stages of a championship fight, and he finished strong. Yeah, third round Romero is slightly scarier than C-level Kane Velasquez. Um, the only thing I wanted to touch on from what Pat said there, I actually figured that the slower portions would favor Rockhold just because, and I talked about this last week, Rockhold's entire game is predicated on being able to control the fight, whatever the area. He can fight everywhere. This is not a condemnation of his skill set as such. He can fight striking. He can fight, be that with kicks or punches. His punching game is still a work in progress, but he can... He's got, he can punch. Clinch work, grappling. He can fight everywhere, but it has to be on his terms. He has to be the one in control. Every time he's struggled or lost, it's because he hasn't been able to control the opposition for that period of time. And Yoel Romero is, might be the most uncontrollable guy in the division, if not like the sport. Not to say it's impossible to control him, but he is the most difficult to. Uh, All right, Jeff, again, I know you have a lot of things you wanted to bring up here. So the floor is yours. I, uh, you know, feel free, get it off your chest. Uh, What were your thoughts on the fight and as much of the surrounding stuff as you'd like to touch on? I don't know. I was, I was, I was a little surprised that 
uh, Rockhold had so much trouble with uh, Romero. I don't know what it is, but earlier in his career, I don't remember his his striking defense and also his head movement being this bad. Um, I'm not sure if it's just age or, or the knockouts he suffered in his career, but he looked very lax uh, going in there against a guy we know has knockout power, a guy we know hits hard and is and is very uh, – very strong and had, I mean, we know Romero has pretty brutal, uh, unnatural strength. Um, the first round was very, I mean, was a close round. I would say a borderline 10, 10 round, maybe, 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 uh, what did you score the first round, Robert? I gave it to Romero because the single biggest moment in that round was a left hand. He landed that got Rockhold really backing up for a second. And the rest of it was just a lot of like leg kicks and sniping. I would say, I would say like 10, 10 or borderline for Romero. Yeah. Um, 10, 10 is perfectly acceptable. Understandable in that round. The second round was the second round was clearly Romero's. Um, uh, I, I, I did I did see that it looked like when Rockhold was able to kind of maintain distance and the pace did seem to favor him a little bit more when he was able to slow the fight down. But um, it, it just didn't look like he was uh, he was handling those exchanges and it didn't look like he was really defending himself well from Romero's offense. Um it was definitely an impressive win by Romero, but man, I mean, I mean, how how humiliating is it to get slept by a guy like that and then have him coming up and kissing you? <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> hilarious, what? but I mean, I mean, you know, you want to talk about mess ups by the commission? Don't let him like. It's one thing if your if your your opponent's going to come up to you and shake your hand or like pat you on the back or whatever, say thank you for the fight or what. Don't let him kiss the guy. All right, that's when you separate those two. I I thought that was disgusting. Don't let him go. Don't Jeff, let him like go up there and kiss the guy. Come on. Keith Herring agrees <laughs> with you. Yeah, Keith Herring would be the first one to tell you that. Jeff, one of the things I said to Robert when Luke Rockhold first got in the cage, and Robert Otestis, I said it doesn't yeah. look like he's ready to fight. I don't. I I, I don't because know. He, I don't know he, what was going on in his head. Uh, sometimes he, I listen you know, to Rockhold's interviews. He might have a foot yeah. out the door. I don't know. He had Something. you know just kind of a look of of kind of wanting to go through the motions almost and not really put an effort in. He came in bone dry into the cage, which is not recommended ever. He didn't look. Um, there was not he an ounce of sweat on him. I mean, this and is maybe, one of the maybe things he was that... dehydrated, and maybe that's that's why you know he was like that. But again, you know, he's not the only one who obviously had issues with weight, as Romero did too. Which you know, I, again, I, Jimmy uh, Smith came to Romero's defense. Weight. For the yeah, record, J- Juicy Formiga missed weight on his first attempt for this card. There were a few guys who, but, oh, again, but there were only Formiga, the one official Formiga miss, but a lot weight. of guys had struggled. Again, he made his weight on his second attempt. But there were a lot of guys who had some issues with the weight cut. I don't know what led to it, but... Yeah, Jimmy Smith defended Yoel Romero as a guy who has never missed weight. 
uh, and is certainly not one of your habitual offenders, John Lineker, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, in terms of missing weight. But, you know, you take a fight on four weeks notice, I, I will say it is a lot more difficult to get to that target weight. And I'm not an advocate for missing weight, but Romero may have made a calculated decision to just keep the two pounds on and not lose anything in the fight. It might well, have been that. Uh, I'm apparent- concerned about Cyborg fighting on March 8th because she took that fight on short notice too. And even if, and even if she's cutting, supposed to be cutting down to 145, and she's only missed weight once before, which was about 10 years ago, I'm very concerned if she can safely make that. Yeah, you know, I'm sure she can probably make that weight, but I'm concerned if she is going to be able to safely make that weight in such a short amount of time. Because that, I mean, yeah, for a valid big, concern. I mean, even for a big girl, that's still, I mean, to be cutting 20 plus pounds in that amount of time, that's a lot. You know, it may oh, not yeah. sound like a lot, but it's a lot. Um, you really want six weeks at a minimum. And here's what if I'll you've say: got a serious very, cut. Look, I'm very upset with Romero. Larry has said this before when he used to do the podcast many times. It's your job to show up, piss clean, uh, make weight, and step into the cage. You know, that's what you're supposed to do. Romero accepted the fight. He accepted a championship fight. You know, I feel like he he should have made the weight. He's the only one – you know, uh, with the numerous weight issues we've been seeing with guys lately, he was the only one last night who didn't make weight, and he's fighting an entitled fight. The one positive I take from this is we don't have another pointless interim title uh, clogging things up because we have enough already. I mean, one is too many as it is. Uh, We didn't need another one. And the UFC needs to stop trying to fix situations by losing a title fight and making an interim title fight as its replacement. Yeah, I don't care for that policy that they've got going as far as that goes, but uh, I'm I'm not happy that Romero missed weight, but if I say everybody gets one and he's never missed in his MMA career, I don't think he ever missed during his, you know, decades of amateur wrestling and the four week thing. I like, again, I'm not happy by any stretch of the imagination, but this isn't Lineker. This isn't Michelle Prezerish who missed weight for his third time a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you know, I, I'm again not happy, but I have to be consistent with my policies if I'm going to have them. Otherwise, they serve no purpose. Uh, Dana White has mentioned that the next thing for uh, that he wants to do is the rematch between Romero and Whitaker. Uh, I'm all for it. I enjoyed their first fight. I would be really interested to see how that goes with, you know if Whitaker doesn't come in with a torn MCL. Uh, I still favor Robert Whitaker because freaking Bobby Knuckles, man. I mean, he's the best middleweight in the world. But Well, let's see, let's see what happens. Yoel Romero, according to his manager, doesn't have a severe leg injury, which Romero was, you know, he was, there was some concern of a broken leg or foot. Apparently it's not broken. Um, uh, Whitaker was, was violently ill. He was dealing with a staph infection. Then he had a case of the, the chicken pox and he had sores that were getting infected and he had, uh, an abscess 
uh, removed. So he's been dealing with a bunch of issues. Plus, he, he, he just had the birth of his daughter. So he says mid-year, but he says he'll probably be ready mid-year. But let's actually wait and see if that pans out. I imagine we'd see, see November or so at the latest. Right. Uh, I, yeah, I do we'll, hope we'll, – I do wish Robert Whitaker a speedy recovery. I love watching him fight, but if his health comes first, I think anybody who, first. I think anybody who loves MMA wishes him a speedy recovery and wants to yeah. see him back sooner rather than later. Including Yoel Romero, who actually – I don't know if he was just sucking up to the crowd or what, but during his post-fight interview said he hopes – Whitaker gets better soon because he wants that rematch. So, uh, all right. Again, that was the main event. Um, I don't know what's next for Luke Rockhold. I almost feel he might want to test the waters at 205. He's a big middleweight, and that weight cut has that has not been a kind weight cut to him. Again, if you look at he's him, he's probably going to go to Bellator, and he's probably going to compete in the next open weight tournament. I was going to say heavyweight tournament. <laughs> Where I would favor him to probably win. Um, <laughs> he'll fight Chael Sonnen and, and Rampage, and then Fedor. Uh, Fedor won't make it that deep into the tournament. Pains me to say that, but... Uh, all right, again, that was... Anybody else, either of you have anything else you want to touch on for the main event before we move on to the rest of this card? I'm still counting it as... As Romero being a crown champion, he is the next Mullen guy to have been a real champion. Fair enough. All right. In the co-main event, Curtis Blades defeated Mark Hunt via unanimous decision. And here's where our weird scoring comes in for the first time. 30-26, 30-26, and 29-27 for Blades. I was 29-27 for Blades. Let me be clear about this. I think the third round was a 10-8 for... Curtis, I don't think Mark Hunt did anything in that round. I don't think he landed a single blow. And if this were under the new scoring system, it's a pretty clear 10-8 for Blades. Even under the old system, there's enough disparity over the course of that single round for me to feel confident doing the 10-8. The two judges who gave Blades the first round is where I take serious issue uh, in the first two and a half, three minutes, right around that mark, Mark Hunt clobbered Curtis Blades with a right that had him on all kinds of chicken legs. Yeah, just he gave him a clobbering. He was he a clobbering. Yeah. I mean, he hit him a few times. He was a clobbering. Dropped him to a knee, nearly finished him before Blades hit this uh, desperation double to slow things down. And I, I do want to applaud the instincts of Curtis Blades to do that because a lot of guys in that same position either just keep backing up and getting hit or plant their feet and swing back and get finished. And he spent the rest of the round on top, which was, in my estimation, enough to get him away from a 10-8. But if you nearly get finished, I don't know how you don't give Mark Hunt that round. I really don't. Um so, again, I, I take serious issue with that scoring. The right guy won. I mean, round two was 10-9 for Blades as Mark Hunt couldn't stop his takedown or really separate if he was able to regain his feet. And then, again, round three, I had 10-8 for Blades just because Mark Hunt did like, nothing. 
I mean, he got up, but he like never did anything effective offensively or defensively, for that matter. But giving Blades that first round after he nearly got finished, I, I seriously question the ability of those judges to know when to stop picking their nose for fear of running into you know, serious obstructions. It, it, it baffles me. It absolutely baffles me. Uh, Jeff, I'll start with you. Anything you want to say about the fight? And should Mark um, Hunt be looking for the door? Well, he already is going by what he said. He said three more fights, and then he plans on calling it quits. But we'll see, because it is Mark Hunt we're talking about. Uh, I think Curtis Blade showed some really uh, good uh, improvement with his cardio. Um, he And he showed some, I think, pretty amazing toughness. Not a lot of guys. Uh, are able to come back from a beatdown like that from Mark Hunt um, and stand up uh, to those punches. He was able to do that. He was able to gut through it. He survived, and he dominated the rest of the fight. He didn't finish the fight, and it wasn't the prettiest, most exciting fight, but he had very good takedowns, and he was constantly active on the ground, uh, and he had Mark Hunt in some pretty bad positions uh, in the last round. Um and if he was a little more active, he probably could have gotten the fight stopped. It, like, that last round was pretty one-sided, and I'm fine with scoring it a 10-8 just because Hunt was get, just not getting any offense at all, and he was eating a ton of strikes on the ground. Um, uh, I, I'm not saying – like, Curtis Blaze is not, like, uh, an elite competitor, but he's definitely something the heavyweight division uh, is in need of right now. It needs young prospects and young blood like him who can possibly uh, carry the torch in the next uh, few years. Um, I'm not saying, like, he's a guy that can beat, like, a steep Amy Ochoix, but he's, a, he's definitely a potential contender to look at. And considering he just beat the number five-ranked guy, uh, he's going to be due for a big fight next. Um, you know, you got to possibly consider putting him in there with uh, maybe an Overeem or a Fabrizio Verdum coming up. Because, uh, look, he wants in on the Chicago heavy. card. I mean, if Ngannou's ready to go again, you could do that rematch. I don't like, I don't like that rematch right now. Um, but uh, you, at least Curtis Blades gives you a couple more options, which heavyweight sorely needs. Um, yeah. And I mean, he's young. He's 26, uh, and he has a great. I mean, he has a great wrestling background. He could. We could be looking at a future title contender here. We have to seriously consider that because it's because it's heavyweight. Yeah, mostly because it's heavyweight. But heavyweight and light heavyweight desperately need some turnover at the top of those divisions. And Blades is a guy who might be able to do it. Um, Pat, anything about the fight? And I have a very specific question that might seem odd. Off the top, Mark Hunt was is excuse me is like seventeen years older than Curtis Blades. Uh, they mentioned that's one of the widest age discrepancies in UFC history. Can you think of one that's worse? Uh, worse being you know bigger. Can you think of one that's a bigger age discrepancy than that? Because that's the that's the top of the line from where I sit. The only one I can think of is because I know offhand that they're going to take three guys outside of the UFC. Ron Van Cleef was 51 when he had his only UFC fight against Hoist Gracie. I'm not sure how old Hoist was at the time, 
But that would be the only one off the top of my head where I would go, there's probably a pretty large age discrepancy here. Other than maybe yeah. maybe Couture and Barnett the first time in 2000. That's another one that might be. But, yeah, that Van Cleef and uh, Gracie one is probably it. I mean, I don't think Gracie was – I don't necessarily uh, think Hoist was super young at the time, but I, I – you I know, don't even think he was. I don't. Really, I don't even think he was mid thirties at the time. I mean, he might have been. Uh, early that's one for 30s our crack research point. team to investigate. Yeah, I'll, I have Fight Pass. I'll pull it up at some point and see if I can do the math on it. If they showed that information back then. Anyway, <laughs> your thoughts on the your thoughts on the fight itself? I know you had some. Uh, last night you expressed some displeasure with Curtis Blades. <laughs> Yeah, I, I just feel he definitely fought too safe for a guy who was almost knocked out in the first round. Um, he had top position. He had mount position. He had a lot of positions where he should have been able to do a lot more than he was. And he fought very safe through very very non-damaging strikes from that position. And I know the thought process is, well, he's a big guy. He doesn't have to put a lot into those strikes for him to hurt but he was just kind of doing enough to not get put out of that position. And I understand it. It's it's a correct method for based on the result he got last night, but I do think he should have been able to finish the fight. And I think it's, it's kind of a knock against him that he didn't try to go for it. That's one of those times where he fought to survive and maybe get a win as opposed to knowing he could get the win if he went for it. Um, I will compliment him on his ability to get past being so hurt that we've seen so many guys not be able to do. He fought through it and showed a lot of heart and toughness. I think his instinct for takedowns at certain points was excellent because whenever Mark Hunt threw his lead left hook, that's a punch where Hunt throws it at an upward angle because he's usually the shorter man. So when, as soon as Blade saw that Hunt was gearing back for that hook, he got underneath it, had control of Mark Hunt's lead side where it's a short distance, and was able to put him down. In the initial first round when he was badly hurt, Mark Hunt landed a right hand and then looked to go back for that left hook. Had Hunt thrown that punch to the body, which we'll talk about in the next fight, he might have been able to end the fight because Blades was not protecting himself there, and he also would have dipped right into it. And we know that Hunt's best power punch is his left hook. That being said, Blades' instinct to get underneath it and capitalize was great, and you would expect more from Mark Hunt, who did the very same thing afterward and got taken down again for it. I, I abhor the judges who scored that fight 3-0, and I'm also going to question, because we're not on the new scoring system for that fight, how you could award someone a 10-8 round where, granted, Hunt did little to nothing in the third round other than get up from takedowns a couple of times, but not every time, and didn't mount significant offense. But he almost finished the fight in the first round, and you, didn't give, you not only didn't give him a 10-8 for that, but you also didn't give him the round, but you found it okay to give Curtis Blades a 10-8 third. This goes back to what we initially discussed about where we know the scoring is more subjective than a boxing or a kickboxing round, but there's still a huge issue with how these are scored. Yeah. And again, we will not be, it will be, that's not the only time we'll discuss some weird judging. Uh, There was another heavyweight fight before that because 
I don't know what I did, but I did something apparently for which I am heartily sorry that caused them to book these two fights back to back. Fortunately, this one ended quickly. Uh, Tai Tuivasa defeated. One had one had Mark Hunt and the other had Tai Tuivasa. I understand (laughs) that they they couldn't have separated them, put the welterweight fight between them. Like, I mean, I, I I understand why you put those two on the main card for this card. But back-to-back, with the, uh, I mean, at least this one ended quickly. Again, Tai Tuivasa defeated Cyril Asker via TKO in the sec- first round. Excuse me. Um, this was a mauling. I mean, <laughs> Tai Tuivasa was able to land his right hand to kind of back Asker up. He hurt him. Asker put his back on the fence and then turned into a heavy bag. Tuivasa was landing some nasty standing elbows. Some pretty solid body shots. Uh, he went again up and down solidly with punches. Uh, the ref really should have stopped this, like one full flurry before he did. He only stopped it when Tuivasa kind of pushed Asker as Asker started trying to move, and Asker kind of fell and face planted. Uh, he took some unnecessary damage. But, I mean, it wasn't as bad as, you know, Mario Yamasaki, who would have waited for, Ask, for you know, Asker to get to his knees and get punched in the face for another four minutes. But this was, like, you really, you don't need a guy to drop to his knees or to fall over before you save him from taking damage. Uh, I, I want to bring that point up again for a middleweight fight from earlier in the evening when we get there. But uh, tied to Ivasa is now 2-0 and in the UFC. He's still undefeated. He's kind of an interesting personality. He's, uh, again, another young guy at heavyweight who might be able to carry the torch going forward, which is, again, sorely needed in the oldest division in the UFC. I'm Uh, not ready to anoint him him, the next Francis Ngannou, but, you know, he's... Can we we anoint him the next Mark Hunt? Uh, I mean, maybe. Uh, I mean, he doesn't have... I don't think he has... uh, he lost his one kickboxing fight. Based on yeah, he doesn't have no Mark technical ability, right. but there's a lot of he similarities. Can, he can drink beer of... out of a sneaker. He can drink a, after after. And look, those were some those were some fun elbows. That I mean, it was a fun finish. Uh, but he beat Cyril Asker, and his only other UFC win was Rashad Coulter, and he also has a win in Australia over James McSweeney. In 2016, I'm not saying I'm not saying he can't become a contender in the future. He's definitely a guy to watch going for, forward. And and yeah, just like Curtis Blade, it's good that you know heavyweight has some young blood, which it's in desperate need of. Uh, kind of like light heavyweight right now, but like you know, I'm not ready to hype get on his hype train yet, just because he beat Cyril Asker. I don't know. I, I'm not calling him a future. I'm not calling him a future champion by any stretch of the imagination, but he's young, he does have some aptitude, and it's heavyweight. Looking uh, at the guys, I'm very happy. I'm very happy the fight ended in under three minutes. So ditto. you couldn't have asked for Believe a better me. for that fight. <laughs> Believe me, ditto. Uh, so, Pat, is this your first exposure with, you know, the Kiwi version of Terry Gordy? Yeah, this was the first time I'd seen Bam Bam in action. Um, I did like things I saw, though. Again, I brought up how Mark Hunt 
did not go downstairs when he clearly had Curtis Blades hurt. We saw the opposite here from Tui. He immediately, when Cyril had his back to the cage and his hands held very high, he ripped some excellent body shots in there that set up the finish. That's basic instinct that everybody should have. It's just some guys fall in love with their power, and it looks like 45-year-old Mark Hunt has become one of them. And I'm not saying it's not warranted, but sometimes you need to go back to basics in order to succeed. And say what you will about Tui and what he's done so far, but seeing that as a level of maturity, which unfortunately you don't see from guys who've got 10 fights in the UFC, let alone two. So I definitely think that's a definite positive to look forward to from him in the future. Um, uh, and again, this is a division sorely lacking in people who can excite people and make them want to see them. Between Curtis Blades and Justin Ledette, there's not a lot else to think there's, there are promising futures for in the UFC at heavyweight. So these are the guys, and, and we can include Ngannou, even though he's clearly in a position above these guys, having already challenged for the title and having fought bigger names, more experience. But, it's, but you know, these are the guys that we're going to need to carry the UFC heavyweight division. And to see them develop and see them develop skills along the way is something we need to be thankful for and hope continues. Yeah, uh, completely agreed. All right, moving on. Unless there was anything else. I don't, I don't think there's anything else for that fight. Um, our other instance of somewhat weird scoring... Jake Matthews defeated Li Jing Leong via unanimous decision. 129-28 for Matthews, which was, I believe, what I had. And then there were two 30-26s for Matthews. I really can't understand giving Matthews a 10-8 in any round. Unless we missed that point deduction for for the most flagrant eye gouge ever, but I don't recall that. There was not an official point deduction, no. I, I, I want to touch on that separately. Just can you intern? Can you just internally deduct the point anyway? Because damn, that's what I was thinking, Jeff. I would. I would. It, if I was a judge, I'd just deduct it on general principle. Well, I'm. I'm not. I, I'm not giving that guy that round. I believe the ten eight in question was the third, not the second. But would a judge be allowed to do that, or is that against the rules? Yeah, they're, you're they're not. Unfortunately, you're not allowed to. But. Again, this commission is weird, so who knows? Yeah. Um, I take umbrage with – I think not massive umbrage, but I take mild umbrage with giving Matthews the second uh, just because he got rocked pretty badly in that round and didn't do a whole lot to get it back. Uh, that was That was the round with the eye gouge, and I'm not screaming about it. You know, if they if you decide if you know there was a judge who kind of gave him that out of sympathy for potentially being nearly being blinded, uh, but I, I don't agree. And again, I really disagree with the ten eight in any of those rounds. Um, I was really surprised by Jing Liang's lack of adjustment in this fight. I picked him to win, but he never kind of got out of looping punches in this fight and he really his better stuff is his straighter offense and he never the couple of times he did throw those type of punches he landed pretty cleanly but he never stuck with it uh matthews had a couple of good exchanges when they got close he had the superior wrestling and a lot of back control but i i, I don't know i feel like we've seen his ceiling and it's 
Nah, fair to Midland at best. Um, as for the eye gouge, which took place in the second round, Matthews locked up a guillotine choke, and in order to get out of it, Lee Jing Leong put his hands on the face and head of Jake Matthews to push down and create left, you know, separation and get his head out of the choke, which is a perfectly valid technique as long as your fingers don't dig into your opponent's eyes. I mean, he had two fingers, like a knuckle deep into that poor guy's eye. It opened up a cut that bled for the next, like, two minutes uh, around the right eyelid of Jake Matthews under the right eyebrow. Uh, This was the worst eye gouge I've seen in the UFC in a long time. Um, Closest I can come to it in fights that I've seen as far as memory goes was like Gilbert Ivel and Don Fry back in Pride. When Ivel was... uh, He did it in full view of the referee. The referee saw it and tapped his arm while he was in a submission hold. Yeah. This... At a... Bare minimum, that should have been a point for a flagrant foul. This should have I, been a firing. This is ban worthy. Ideally, this, this was absolutely instant DQ worthy. This is wor- This is worse. This is worse than Paul Daly taking a cheap shot on Josh Koscheck after their fight was over. Uh, yeah, at eight least years that ago. was somewhat. Pro- at least that was somewhat provoked. This is instinct of somebody who's never been in a guillotine and is in a street fight where there are no rules. Jiang is, a, a, at this point, a veteran fighter who trains with this on a regular basis, and I can guarantee you in his camp, when a sparring partner puts him in a guillotine or a jiu-jitsu coach puts him in a guillotine, his response is not to go knuckle deep into the ocular cavity. Yeah, he I looked really... like He go looked ahead. like he thought um, Jake Matthews' eye socket was a lobster shell, and he was digging out the last bit of meat. For that last bit of lobster meat or something. That's what it looked like he was doing. This wasn't Honestly, like, were I Jake, were I Jake Matthews, this wasn't accidental. I would have tried to bite his thumb off in response while <laughs> holding the guillotine. That was I, and I don't look. I'm not saying there's any anything wrong with with kind of publicly vilifying Mario Yamasaki, but we got all we got. I mean, I mean, like people tarred and feathered that guy publicly. They did it on UFC tonight um, and, and Fox Sports 1. Dana White, you know, did him dirty on Instagram. And we've heard next to nothing about Lee Zhang Long. I, I mean, yeah. what the hell? Yeah. No, no. that, that after, It's a horrible double standard. After, after a, uh, a, what's his name? Pedro Nobre. I'm sorry, Jeff. Go ahead. I'll, I'll wait till you're done. That guy. Remember that guy, Pedro Nobre, who basically like took a dive and got a DQ win over, I think, Eric Silva, and basically yeah. like faked an injury. And he was like never allowed back in the UFC after that, that for basically faking it and milking it. I mean, are we going to hear anything about? Jean- I mean, come on. This was no, and we're not. And let's be clear why. It's because what? he's Chinese and they want to gain a foothold in China. <sighs> I am fine if you don't want to directly fire this guy, but I mean, how is he not suspended? I mean, how is he not forced to give up purse money? You got to say something. I mean, that was something. Something that was. I mean, I mean this. I mean, this, Gerard I mean, Bordeaux never, like nods in approval at this technique, but he's the only one. 
Oleg Toktorov never fought like this. I mean, Dan Severn didn't fight like this, and that's when this was called no holds barred, not MMA. You know, I mean, yeah. I'm disgusted. It's one of the. This is one of the most disgusting instances I've ever seen. I mean, this wasn't like an act. This isn't like accidentally holding your fingers out, gauging distance or whatever. He he was in a submission hold, and he he had both hands on his face, and he dug. His, he went two fingers deep. He went knuckles deep into the guy's eye socket. I can't. I, I can't even. I, that's disgusting. It's like a. It was like a horror movie. I mean, I mean this guy does not. I, I mean, and I. I was not like a hater of anything I, for Zhang Long, but he never done anything like this before. And this is like, oh God. Yeah, this was like, this was bad. This we was need more people upset about. Yeah, I'm. I was really surprised at the lack of. I don't want to say outrage, but even like appropriate response from a lot of people as a result of that thing. I, I really it was. Um, like, has anyone even asked the referee what he was thinking when he saw it? He grabbed his arm. He tapped him on the arm. Like, hey, stop that! But I mean, I mean. I mean, it's one thing if there's an accidental eye poke, but this wasn't even a poke. He he dug his his digits two digits deep into his eye socket. How, I mean, I mean, the fact that Matthews uh, didn't have a serious eye injury and basically talked it off. I I mean, I'm almost offended that Jake Matthews was as cool with it as he was. <laughs> yeah, Fair. that's I mean. And here's the thing. It's, it's very easy, and we all know this, to second-guess officials in the heat of the moment of things. That's fine. We can all acknowledge that. Officials are human beings. They make mistakes. However, there are specific scenarios that these officials train to assess and deal with in the course of a fight. It's not as though Mario Yamasaki is in his first year on the job. This is a guy who's been refereeing for over a decade. Over a decade. And He's one of the pillars of who, the jiu-jitsu community on the East Coast and you know, has several academies. He and his brother, both Fernando, they're both referees. They both you know, have multiple schools. They both do a lot of work for you know, martial arts in the, you know, around that area of the country. And they're both really good guys from everyone who's interacted with them. And, and as someone who is friends with officials – in the New Jersey State Athletic Commission who are certified and the New York State Athletic Commission who are certified officials in both MMA and boxing, I can tell you that there is no excuse for Mario Yamasaki's officiating and how he handled that situation. In the course of that situation, what you are to do is, when you see a flagrant foul like that being immediately initiated, you are to stop it by this force. Wasn't Yama- hey, hang on, grab- this wasn't Yamasaki. He, did, he wasn't the ref for this I'm fight. I'm sorry. You I figured who it was, Simpson. but it was Mark Simpson Mark. was the one for Matthew Zhang Long. But, um, you are supposed to restrain that person from doing it. And in this case, it would have been very simple to grab a wrist and pull it away from the eye. Secondly, you are to call out for a point deduction or disqualification. If you're going to disqualify them, you tell them both to stop, break them, and disqualify Zhang Ling. If you're going to do a point deduction while the action is still going on because you don't want to break the guillotine and potentially cost a win – you have to audibly yell, one point, John Ling, one point, John Ling, deduction, and you allow the action to continue. Yeah, I, I mean, that, that, 
that was horribly handled by the referee in this instance, whose new nickname is going to be Homer. He also happens to be bald and overweight, so I think it fits. Um, that's really all I have for this. That was, again, horribly mismanaged by the official. Uh, not a terribly interesting fight beyond that. Nope. So Jake Matthews fight. look good. He would have he would have finished the fight. He probably was he was about to finish the fight before Zhang Long put his fingers into his eye socket. He looked he was that was one of his better UFC performances. Yeah, and it's again like it's still I still feel like we've seen his ceiling, and it's about where he maybe is. we have, but he was about he was about to beat like a surging fighter who was on a good winning streak before. He got fingers jammed into his eye. Robert, let's see how well you fight after you get two fingers jammed into your eye socket by this schmuck. Oh, Experience, folks, it ain't that easy. No, no, like, it's a horrible thing. I, I'm not, I'm not criticizing his performance after that That's incident. That's the only I, I'm reason. just not. I, I mean, maybe he would have been able to get out of, maybe he would have been able to gut it out and get out of that guillotine choke, but he had... Did he not have that guillotine locked in pretty tight before oh, that, the eye that gouging? Was pretty, that was a deep choke attempt. That was. There's still ways to get out of it, but that was a solid attempt. By that was a solid and, ag- and again, folks, when someone does that to you, when you have them in a guillotine, if their response is to stick their fingers into your eye, that means more than likely they have a finger close to your mouth. You bite that sucker off. I mean, respect to Jake Matthews for being so cool about it after John Anik showed him the replay. But I'm almost angry at Jack Ma- Jake Matthews that he's so cool about it, honestly. Yeah, uh, agreed. It's <laughs> almost like you wish that, insta- that instinct would have come out of him to retaliate immediately. Yeah. Uh, all right. And kicking off the main card, I don't know how to feel about this. I, I'm equal parts... Yeah, like pseudo, <laughs> like pseudo, like uh, how do I say this? Because I don't want to say disgusted, like pseudo, meh, and acknowledging a, a half decent technique that Pe- Tyson Pedro pulled off here. Uh, Tyson Pedro defeats Saperbek Safarov with a Kimura in the second round. They kind of went back. <laughs> That's kind of my thing. Like, there's two things about it that really made it work, one of which I do want to kind of give Pedro credit for, and the other was just Safarov not being all that good. Um, this was Pedro's fight, basically, start to finish. He was landing better on the feet. Uh, Safarov would throw back, but anytime he started throwing back, Pedro would just reset the distance and smack him a few more times. The closing sequence was... I want to see if I can remember this properly... Safarov had he started out with a rear waist lock he had the back standing Pedro went to break the grip with a double wrist lock which is perfectly valid Safarov kind of turns the corner to look for a double leg I might be misremembering the sequencing here if so I apologize which is a really good thing to do if you have the back and they're kind of hand fighting get around their hips and then dump them backwards because they're probably pushing back into you that's a really Really basic uh, takedown. Colby Covington uses it to great success. Uh, it's not one of Khabib's favorite Matt returns, but he'll use it. You want to see another guy who can execute that same thing? And as he kind of squared up to go for the double leg, Pedro broke the grip. 
and then really committed to the Kimura. He sat back for it, got all the way to the mat, and this is where I do want to give him some credit because, I mean, look, he's, this position should not have been attainable in the first place, but Safarov <laughs> let it develop. And then it got to a point where the only defense Safarov could have had was a a very basic one of just stepping around his opponent's head. Uh, it, it's the you know it's it's like the one jujitsu move Mike Goldberg would hang his hat on because Matt Hughes pulled it off once against George St. Pierre uh, after Joe Rogan handheld his way through to explaining the sequencing. But it's what you do. It's a really good counter to that technique. Is you're spinning around that way. It's why you need some control over the body or you put yourself in a bad position. Safarov couldn't step over the head because of the fence positioning. That was the cage literally stopped his avenue of countering that technique. So all he could do was roll forward onto his back with the pressure, and that which led to you know Pedro getting a Kimura sweep into the full Kimura, stepped over the head, pretty much broke his arm. It was, again, like, it's not a circumstance that should develop that way, but I do want to give Pedro, maybe I'm giving him too much credit, but once he committed to it, like, he seemed to know that he was okay to really go for it because of the positioning of himself and Safarov relative to the cage. Um, I do want to give a brief shout-out to Andrew Graham, who gave me a reference link for basically that same sequence that was not jujitsu related. Uh, he showed me a YouTube clip of the great American amateur wrestler Mark Schultz hitting basically that same Kimura sweep into a pin in international wrestling competition after uh, kind of his opponent went for a, sing, a high crotch single leg. He locked up the double wrist lock, spun him around, and slammed him to the mat and then pinned him from there. It's a really nice sequence to get uh, you know in amateur wrestling as well, but... The circumstances are different under that entire sport. Uh, Jeff, I'll start with you. Again, Tyson Pedro hit a roadblock with Alir Latifi just too much too soon for a guy who only had like six fights, I think, six or seven. Uh, how, did, how did you feel about his rebound here? Does he still have uh, a bright future? Or is he just a ham and egger for the division? He beat uh, Saberbeck Safarov. Good on him. That's fair. <laughs> uh Pat, your thoughts, and I do want your thoughts on that finishing sequence if you, know, you uh, saw anything differently than what I laid out. No, I mean, my thoughts on it are, are pretty much the fight is what it was between who it was between. I don't disagree with Jeff at all, you know, saying what he said. The finishing sequence, again, um, it's more to do with the opponent's lack of understanding what was going on than with the successful pull-off of that technique if you want to call it that because a lot of it's it was really accidental technique. like you demonstrate that usually only works in demonstrations but that's the whole thing in practice against somebody who had a much better idea of how to grapple that would not have happened um it was a poorly attempted high cross single leg and that's a that's a technique that's undervalued in mma but you realize you don't see it as much because so many guys don't execute it correctly. And this was an example of what happens when you don't. You get taken advantage of by a guy who is willing to go out there and take a risk. But maybe it was a calculated risk because he understood how bad this guy was at grappling. 
Yeah, like the best high crotch singles in MMA right now is still Daniel Cormier. Uh, and not just oh, the yeah. high amplitude variation thereof. But yeah, a lot of guys wind up stalling out on the fence because, and so they don't practice better ways of completing it because they you know, like it, it creates this cycle of, well, I'm not really going to get good at this technique because it's just going to stall out on the fence. So when people do go for it, it just stalls out on the fence. Uh, all right. That was the main card. Again, not a great pay-per-view, um, but it could have been worse. I will, I, I will take what I can, the minor victories I can get. Two of those fights ended quickly, at least, and I'll be happy about that. Uh, as for the prelims, actually, the best fights of the night came from the prelims. Um, Dong Yen Kim defeated Damian Brown via split decision. This fight sucked. Um, this is one of those times when you find two guys who, on paper, should have a banger of a fight, and, well, it's it's just not good. Um, Israel Adesanya, who I've been racking my brain trying to figure out where I knew his name from for the past, like, three weeks. I finally figured it out as he was not too long before the fight started. Uh, A couple of the guys I follow on Twitter, I believe Zombie Prophet and I know um, Kaposa, uh, Grabaka Hitman, have shared some of his work from both kickboxing and lower-level regional MMA. Uh, this guy's really got some potential. He's a really, really good striker. His kickboxing record is something like 65 and five, and not some of those. Like, it's easy to pad your record. He's his isn't that padded. Uh, he's got a professional boxing record. That's, uh, I mean, it's not great because it's like six or seven and one, and he you know, left that to pursue other striking-related sports. And there's still a lot of work that has to be done with this guy. His clinch fighting needs a lot of work. He wasn't good about fighting for underhooks. He wasn't good about fighting for head position. And he wasn't the best at creating separation when he did stop the initial takedown attempt from Rob Wilkinson. But if you have to strike with this guy, you're in for a really rough evening. Um, There's work that has to be done, but there's some reason to be optimistic about his future. Uh, Alexander Volkanovsky did a passable Khabib Nurmagomedov impression and put a beat down on Jeremy Kennedy en route to a second round TKO. Oh, sorry, I forgot to mention. Yeah, it, Adesanya did defeat Wilkins, uh, Rob Wilkinson via TKO in the second round. That fight could have been stopped earlier, too. It wasn't stopped until Rob Wilkinson dropped to his knees after some body shots. It, it really didn't need to go that long. Um, anyway, Volkanovsky just uh, better grappler smothering top position, serious power. Um, get that guy a top 15 fight. Like, Andre Feely squeaked into the top 15 recently. I'm okay with that fight. Um, I've been high on Volkanovski since his debut. He's, I don't know, you know, contender champion might be a bridge too far, but there's some serious ability in that guy, and I really want to see what he does next. Uh, flyweight Juicy A. Formiga defeated Ben Wynn via technical submission. Rear naked choke in the third round. He clobbered Ben Wynn with a spinning back fist. Wynn threw a high kick. Uh, I think it was a lead, rear leg high kick. And after the leg passed the center line, Formiga threw the spinning back fist and clocked him. Got his back, punched him a few more times, got the choke. Um Easily the best Formigas looked in his UFC run. 
coming off of probably his other best performance in the UFC. He's the only top five guy who hasn't fought Demetrius Johnson yet. Um, if DJ and TJ falls through for whatever reason, which I kind of hope it does, kind of hope it, I really kind of hope it does for a variety of reasons. I'm okay with Formiga and and uh, Mighty Mouse. I still favor Mighty Mouse, but I think the guys are in his shot at this point. Uh, on Fight Pass, Ross Pearson defeated Mizuto Hirota via unanimous decision, 30-27 twice and 29-28. Not a whole lot here. Um, Ross Pearson is who he is at this point, and he's still pretty clearly, like, he's not shot, but the limitations of his game are not being addressed, and he's... Yeah, he wanted a rematch with Dan Hooker. I think a rematch with Dan Hooker goes worse than it did for him the first time. Uh, Jose Quinones defeated Teruto Ishihara of a unanimous decision, 30-27, 29-28 twice. 30-27's a little odd. Um, especially, I think, the second round when Quinones got badly rocked at the end of it. Uh, when they announced 30-27, I thought it was for Ishihara because there's a more compelling argument for that, I think, than 30-27 for Quinones. Uh, but I had it for Quinones. It was a mediocre bantamweight fight. And kicking everything off, Luke Jamo defeated Daichi Abe via unanimous decision, 29-28, 29-27, and 28-27. Yeah, I knew we were in for a long night of scores when that one was read. Um... I, I don't think you could give either guy a 10-8 in any round. I mean, Abe really badly battered Jamo in the first, but I don't think he got close enough to finishing him to warrant it, and he didn't dominate the round. Nearly finished. You know, again, won it clearly, but 10-8 seemed like a bit much. That almost seems like the judge gave Abe a 10-8 first, and after the third wrapped up, he wanted Jamo to win. So rather than give Jamo the 10-9 he had earned, he gave him a 10-8 so he didn't have a draw. Uh, not a great fight. Decent low-level striking affair. Uh, Jeff, I'll start with you. Any burning desires from that group of prelims? Uh, juicier uh, Formiga's uh, performance was really good against a, a tough, surging opponent like uh, Ben Wen. Uh, and uh, he's uh, he's been looking good lately. I'm not sure he gets that title shot, you know, in the event, something like that. It would probably go to... Um, Henry Cejudo first, uh, but uh, I mean, if, uh, if Formiga can be a little more consistent and keep having, definitely find him getting a title shot down the line. And uh, congrats to Ross Pearson for keeping his job. All right, Pat. Anything from that group of fights you'd like to bring up? Uh, I enjoyed the the kid doing a John Jones impression in the the final prelim fight. Um, again, good body work that I saw from him, particularly the left hook. Uh, something we don't see nearly enough of. Uh, just hope I can see more of him and continue development. Yeah. Uh, again, there's some pretty serious stuff that Adesanya can do. Uh, I hope he keeps working because UFC needs stars, and I'm not calling him a star by any stretch of the imagination, but there's ingredients forced that go into making a star that he pretty clearly has. Uh, All right. Moving on. Uh, Thanks to everyone who read and followed along with my coverage. I always appreciate you guys. 
I was reminded on my you know my Facebook memory of some of a circumstance. I forget how long ago it was, but uh, probably about a year ish. That's when they tend to do those things. That at one point there was a discussion going on between you guys, and I assume I participated at some point about the nature of you know combat sports as an art form. Uh, you know, I would love a larger reader base, but I will take the quality of all of you guys over the quantity of some of the other websites any day of the week. All right, next Sunday we have UFC Fight Night 126. Um, man, are they still listing that? They haven't. Did did they announce a replacement opponent for Jessica Aguilar last night that I missed? Because she's still listed as being on the main card of this fight, but does not have an opponent. Eh, I'll find, um, find, find out it, later. Did it say? No, no, it was Did she supposed fall to be... out? Yeah, yeah, Sousa fell out with a hand injury. Okay, Wikipedia says TBD, so I guess they're trying to keep her on the car. They're, they're, so I guess they're still looking. All right. Yeah, it was supposed to be uh, Livia Souza, who I was kind of looking forward to see in the UFC. She's She would be a welcome addition to that division. Okay. Uh, so Sousa anyway. just fell out yesterday, so they don't have a so okay. don't yet yet. I will be surprised if they find someone on that short of notice, but we'll see. Uh, all right, the main event for this card is Donald Cerrone and Yancey Medeiros. Uh, Yancey Medeiros, fresh off of his TKO of the other cowboy, uh, Alex Oliveira. Man, Medeiros is three and zero at welterweight. I've uh, finished all of them. He's on a pretty good run. Uh, Donald was last seen being starched violently by Darren Till. Uh, he's lost his last three fights. Jeez. Was TKO'd by Jorge Masvidal, lost to Robbie Lawler, and then was TKO'd by Darren Till. Um, Man. I don't like picking against Donald Cerrone when he's fighting someone like Yancey Medeiros, but that trend he's on is not positive. Eh, screw it. I'll go with Yancey. Just because his name is Yancey. Um, uh, like, this should be a fun fight. There's going to be some uh, some fireworks in this one. I don't know. I kind of like Yancey here. He's, he's resilient, uh, which is something that you really need against Donald, unless you're going to just blow him out of the water. You got to be able to bounce back. He's hittable, but uh, I don't know, man. I'm looking forward to this one, but yeah, I'll go with Medeiros. Uh, might regret that, but that's where I'm sitting right now. Jeff, uh, what do you what do you think about this one? It's nice to. Uh, I mean, Cerrone's one of your favorite fighters, so how do you see this one playing out? He is, but I kind of like Medeiros for this one because I feel like Cerrone's kind of in decline right now. I'm not saying uh, we're getting close. Sort of been, he's been in the slump lately. And uh, every, you know, he trains with Max Holloway. And um, since he stepped to Baltimore, he's, that thing, he's getting results, uh, and I 
this is going to be his um, his real his big fight to break him up into the upper echelon of uh, the welterweight ratings. Uh, but experienced veteran, he's been there with welterweight and the best lightweight in the Completely, but I'm leaning toward Mignoris for this fight. All right, Pat, are you are you going to break the trend here? Are you going to go with uh, Cowboy, or is he kind of too far gone to really be a reliable pick in this type of fight? No, I've picked against him in his last three fights. Um, now, granted, I picked True. against Masvidal because of his style matchup. I picked against Lawler because of I, I felt that just the matchup overall favored Lawler. But Till, I picked against him because I felt like he's clearly on a slide. He's taken a lot of damage, and he doesn't have the necessary firepower or comeback ability to deal with real, real good, vicious guys anymore. And I think Medeiros falls into that same category. I actually think a little bit higher of Medeiros in this matchup than I did of Till against Cerrone. Um, You know... Maz, uh, Yancey definitely leaves some openings that Cerrone, had this been a year and a half, two years ago, I feel comfortable that he would have been able to maybe not take control of the fight with, but definitely would have been able to put himself into the fight with. Now I'm not confident in those abilities at all. Um, Medeiros is not a finished project either, but I think the style matchup at this point, he's just go- going to go in and try to overwhelm Cerrone like we saw Till do, like we saw Masvidal do. And I think it's going to go that way. I think I think Medeiros has better inside fighting at this point, particularly with his hands. I think speed, he's got a slight edge at this point now. And I think he's more difficult to hit, though I don't think either guy is necessarily defensively responsible. Um, the odds on this fight, when I last saw them, Medeiros was a significant favorite at minus 235. And Cerrone was a plus 165 underdog. The last time I saw odds like that for a Cerrone fight were in his fight with Nate Diaz. Um, and I think this is going to play out same and Cerrone leaving with an L. Um, you know, I just think he's on decline. It is what it is. He's not the fighter he was, and that's fine. Everybody gets old at some point. He's put his body through a lot. He's taken a lot of damage. And you start to decline at a certain point. And if this is his time, it's his time. And if he does lose this fight, I would imagine we're not going to see him in situations against strong up and comers, at least for a couple of fights. We're going to see him hopefully get some rehab fights in there against some lesser opposition to see if he really wants to still make a go of this. All right. In the co-main event, Derek Lewis uh, is scheduled. I'm not sure whether or not he'll make it. Um, he's had some pretty serious back issues and uh, I mean, those are no joke. I I really hope he's got those sorted out because you shouldn't be fighting with a bad back like that. That's terrible. Like just living with a bad back is terrible. Uh, he is coming off of that loss to Mark Hunt June of last year and he's fighting Marcin Tabora. Uh, Tabora also lost to Fabricio Verdum his last time out. Oh, sorry, not also. Um, Lewis was supposed to fight Fabricio before he wound up pulling out. That was his last scheduled fight. 
Uh, Tabura lost a three-fight winning streak. This is kind of tough. Um, Tabura is just the more technical party. And if he can kind of lure Lewis into swinging wild and missing, he can pick him apart. Hmm. I don't know. Now I'll go with Lewis. Might be overly sentimental on my part. Uh, I mean, again, like, Tabor is not bad by any stretch of the imagination, but if he really gets into some exchanges and doesn't stay technical, he's going to get slept. And I'm not sure I've seen him really get into firefights and hold up all that well. Uh, Pat, I'll stick with you for this. Uh, the Black Beast and I forget what Tabor's nickname is. Tiber, I think. Uh, who do you got here? Uh, I mean, this is because Lewis is the hometown guy here. So does the hometown guy get the win or is this WWE booking where if it's your hometown, you're, you're losing. No, I, I favor Lewis. Um, I, I haven't seen Tabura do the things he's going to need to do in order to beat Lewis. And I don't like to assume those things are there when we haven't seen them. Uh, I, I, he's going to get hit. He's going to get hit hard. And how he's going to respond to that is going to be a big determining factor in how this fight goes. If he chooses to firefight with Lewis, I don't like his odds. If he chooses to try to launch a single strike from the outside to stay away from him, I don't like those odds. Tabura needs to turn this into a situation where he can press close, 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 chest to chest against the fence, potentially get takedowns, potentially tie Lewis up and push his weight back and not allow him space to strike. I'm not confident that he can do that for the entirety of a fight. I like Lewis to clip him at some point, hurt him, and knock him out. All right, Jeff. Now, you're, you're a Derek Lewis fan, right? Yes, I would say I am. All right, how do you see this one going? Uh, I think, I mean, is Lewis still ready to fight after uh, having a bulging dip? Has he had enough time to really heal up? Uh, from an injury like that? Depending on how it was treated and how badly it was bulging. I mean, I am assuming if he signed a fight, he was medically cleared and feels confident enough to actually get in there and fight. It was reported he had a bulging disc, which is why he was the Fabrizio Verdum fight at the last minute, which I guess it was just one of those chronic injuries he wasn't and then it got serious. So, I mean that. I mean that aside, I, I am leaning toward Lewis. I mean, uh, Lewis is a Lewis is a pretty good fighter, and um, I guess it's always just a question of how motivated is he and how much how much seriously is is he training. I just feel Lewis got with the right camp or the right coaches. He would he would be, I think. As good as he is now, I think he could be even better. But I think Tabura is a winnable fight for him. Um, just because I, I think Lewis is a better overall fighter. And I think if you look at most of Lewis's fights, he tends to go, he tends to do better the longer the fight goes. Um, just because I'm looking at his last several wins, and uh, he has quite a few finishes after the first round. 
knocked out Shamil Abdurakimov in the fourth round. He knocked out Travis Brown in the second. Uh, he went all three rounds with Roy Nelson, but that wasn't a finish. He knocked out Victor Pesta in the third as well. So um, I'm going to say knockout in the third round, as much as it will pain you, Robert. It will pain me, but uh, I will I will deal with it if. Eh, I mean, again, Lewis is, doesn't have. I mean, the Abdurahimov fight kind of sucked, but that was a lot on Abdurahimov more so than Lewis. Like, he doesn't have cardio that's as bad as Francis Ngannou. Let's say that. Uh, all right. Next up, we have probably the most interesting fight on the main card, actually. James Vick takes on Francisco Trinaldo. Yeah. Uh, Vick really wanted on this card. He really wanted the main event, actually. Vick is on a three-fight winning streak. He is... Jeez. One, two, three, four, five. He is eight and one in the UFC, and his only loss is to Benil Dariush. Uh, he's finished his last three opponents. He choked out Trujillo, then TKO'd both Reyes and Duffy. Uh, Trinaldo just had the best run of his... is really still on one of the better runs of his career. He lost to Kevin Lee, uh, rebounded by beating Jim Miller. That loss to Lee snapped a six, seven fight winning streak. And he's 39 years old. Yeah, like... <laughs> Um, both these guys like to strike. They're good everywhere, but they're both kind of uh, you know, striking is where they're really kind of at their best. Vic's a big guy. Trinaldo's got Trinaldo's got power. I kind of like Vic here. Uh, the length and range is something that I think will trouble Trinaldo, and if he gets desperate and starts shooting from outside with you know ugly setups or no setups, Vic's probably going to catch him and make him pay for that. Uh, yeah, I like Vic here, but that's, again, probably the best fight on the main card in terms of relevance to a division and guys in their respective primes. Uh, Pat, I'll stick with you for this one. Uh, James Vic and Trinaldo. I mean, you. I seem to recall you mentioning that Vic had some potential after you watched him on that lousy season of Tough Live. You know, anybody who has that size, that length in that division has a lot of potential just on the advantages alone that that size brings. And it's a matter of making them work. More often than not, he has. I actually, for a tall guy, don't like the amount of trouble he has when fighting in kickboxing range. I actually see him get hit very often when he's on the outside because he misjudges distance. Um, When he's jabbing and when he's offensive, he's very good at maintaining that. But when he's not punching or having to use his footwork, he's very easy to clip. And Trinaldo has the ability to do that in kickboxing range. Vic is actually much better when they get into pure boxing range and can let off some really strong combinations and makes very good use of knees in close, which is not surprising being such a tall, long guy in that division. Trinaldo has fought, to me, the better opposition overall, not the least of which is Kevin Lee. And while he lost that fight, there's really no shame in that. Lee is a top guy in that division. Now, I favor Vic as long as he's able to 
get that in-between distance. He doesn't want to be a kickboxing distance, and he doesn't want to be a clinch distance. He wants to be right in the heart of boxing distance where he can let his hands go freely, attack strong, and finish with those big knees. And I think that's what we're going to see. I like, I like Vic to win by stoppage probably in the second round after he gets a bit of gauging distance and might take a big shot or two from Trinaldo along the way. But I also think when Trinaldo gets hit on the inside, he's going to retreat to the outside and try to shoot from there, like you said. And I think that'll end with a big knee to the chin. All right, Jeff, your thoughts on the, the Texecutioner and Masaranduba? Jeez, those nicknames. As, uh, as the Texan here, I'm definitely favoring uh, James Vick to get the win at home here. I think ever since the loss to Dariush, he's been uh, he's been on a tear and he's and he's been showing improvement. When he first came into the UFC, he was more of a grinder, he was more of a wrestler. But since then, he's kind of now you know now he's knocking guys out, uh, and he's looked fairly impressive doing it. Um, I think he'll be able to stop uh, Trinaldo. Trinaldo's a very good fighter, but he's also not unbeatable. I wouldn't consider him an, an elite fighter. I consider him a pretty, you know, uh, above average, above mid-level lightweight fighter. And this is a very tough division. My only problem with James Vick is I think he's got a little bit too much of a chip on his shoulder that he's like not in the main event and things like that. I think while he is getting better and he's been looking great lately, I still feel like, you know, he ha- he hasn't, he hasn't beaten like a, a, a legitimate uh, top ten name yet, um, and I think I think he'll get there. He just needs to stay focused and not uh, get upset about you know some perceived sliding that he wasn't in the main event here. You know when you have a card with a guy like Donald Cerrone on it, who's um, a proven commodity. Uh, See, I think that chip on his shoulder. I think that chip on his shoulder is what's making him focus though. I think it's that that feeling. Look, I believe it could be a motivating factor for him, but I think he can't, I think, I think it is motivating for him, but I think he can't let it get to him that he's not in that position. Uh, Otherwise he's going to lose. I think he's got the focus of they slided me. I'm going to take this all out on who's standing across from me and show them why they made a mistake. And as long as he keeps it in that level, I think he's going to be at his very best. I agree. I think I, I think I would agree with that. Um, I think that I think that could be the case, but we'll see. As long as it's a motivation and not a distraction, it's you know inherently a good thing. But it can become a distraction. We've seen guys in the past who ha- that has become a detriment. So, uh, all right, I think we're just going to do burning desires for the rest of this card. Because uh, we do have another card to get to. Uh, all right. We have a welterweight fight between Tiago Alves and Curtis Millender. Going with Millender. Um, Millender is making his UFC debut. He's on a, what, five, six-fight winning streak? Six. Um, went 3-0 and in Legacy. In his last Bellator fight. He's kind of being... Fe- like, this is weird. Like, I... He's either going to get a really notable win because Alves still has name value, or they're really trying to feed Alves somebody to get him back on the horse because Alves just broke a two-fight losing streak with a decision over Patrick Cote in a fight that was just kind of there. I don't know. I like Alves there. 
Uh, Jessica Aguilar versus somebody. Again, it was supposed to be Livia Hanata Souza, but Souza fell out with a hand injury. Uh, I don't mind picking Aguilar in the dark uh, because whoever they're going to get on short notice is probably not going to be the level of opponent she's faced yet so far in the UFC, but we'll see. Um, Sage Northcutt and T-Bolt Gowdy. I, I'm surprised they booked this. Um, I know Gowdy just had a three-fight losing streak that he barely snapped. Uh, you know, he lost to Timu Pakalin and Olivier Aubameyang and Chad Laprise, but I'm confusing Gowdy with somebody else, aren't I? I'm not sure who I'm confusing him with, but I'm confusing him with somebody else. It might actually be Pakalin. No, it's not Pakalin. Who in the world am I confusing him with? Gowdy had a three-fight losing streak. Yeah, no, I, I'm... I know who he is now, but when I just saw his name, I was I was thinking I, I saw somebody Gowdy else in Yuma, my head. Gowdy Yumauchi? No, Gowdy the guy Yuma. who beat uh the guy who beat Dracar Close uh, a couple of months ago. Whose name I can't I can't for the life of me I can't remember his name off the top of my head. I don't know why I'm confusing them. Oh, David uh, Tamer. 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 That's it. Thank you. I don't know why I'm confusing them. I don't even think they look alike. But had that they been Tamer, I would have... He- they, do, they do, yeah, they do kind of look alike. But I would have heavily Swedish favored... And one's, and one's American. I would have heavily favored Tamer in that fight, um, actually. But uh, Gody is here kind of to let Northcutt look good. I don't see any particular reason why he wouldn't either. Um, they're booking him very carefully. Uh, on the prelims, I like this fight, actually. Jared Gordon and Carlos Diego Fajaya. We haven't seen Fajaya since January of 16. Well, he was on a uh, doping suspension. But is a really good grappler. Uh, there's a lot good about his game. And I've really kind of come around on Jared Gordon over his last couple of fights, Uh yeah, I, I don't know what it is, but he's kind of made a fan out of me. I, I like Gordon there. Um, Brian Camozzi gets kind of a gimme against Joffrey Neal. I will take Camozzi. Oh, my, it happened. I finally will have to refer to fighters by their first name on my coverage for this next fight. Uh, Roberto Sanchez is fighting Joby Sanchez, and I'm not putting initials before Sanchez, so it will just be Roberto and Joby. Um, Joby has two wins on Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. Jeez. He's been in the UFC before. Yeah, he lost to Wilson Hayes, he beat Tateki Matsuda, and then he lost to Gian Herrera. I knew I knew that name. I like Joby here. Uh, I don't know anything about Roberto. Uh, women's bantamweight Sarah Morris is fighting Lucy Pudilova. Morris tapped Ashley Evans-Smith with that really sweet armbar. Uh, and Pudilova beat Gian Kim. That wasn't a great performance from her, though. That's tough. I'll actually take Morris there. Probably wrong. Uh, on fight pass, Steven Peterson fights Brandon Davis. The winner will get the first fair out of the arena. I'll go with Davis. His name sounds slightly more familiar, though I might be confusing him with someone named Brendan Davis as opposed to Brandon. American naming conventions. Yay. Uh, and at welterweight, Alex Morono, why does Josh Berkman have a job? Like, 
even with the UFC's expanded schedule, and even with the cards they have to fill, really, we're still having Josh Berkman, who is like, what, six? He's like one six and one no contest in his second UFC stint. I mean, this is this is comical. This is just stupid. Yeah, Alex Morono, he should probably run him over. I mean, he's coming off of that loss to Nakamura. A beat by Nico Price. Um, I actually kind of like Price. and Yeah, yeah, Morono gets back on the winning side of things. Berkman should not be in the UFC. Uh, Jeff, any burning desires from that from the, the fights mentioned there? Anything stand out to you? Uh, let's see. Sage Northcutt is fighting Tybalt Gowdy. Uh, definitely. Oh, well, we went, uh, mm, I guess Tiago Alves versus Curtis, uh, Millender. Hopefully they get it. They're able to put together a decent fight for Jessica Aguilar, but we'll see. And, uh, yeah, that's about it for me. All right, Pat, what sticks out to you? Anything else on that card you're looking forward to? Uh, I like Samaras' grappling, so I'd like to see what goes on there. All righty. And again, that will be Sunday. I will have live coverage in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania. That is Sunday the 18th. On Saturday the 24th, we have UFC on Fox 28. This is not a very good card. Um, There's a couple of prelim fights that are better than the main. Who put this together? Yeah, whatever. All right, Sean your Shelby main event. Mick Maynard. All right. I mean, the main event was supposed to be Yoel Romero and David Branch, and that fell apart when they moved Romero to again 221 to save that card. Instead, our main event is Josh Emmett and Jeremy Stevens. Um, Emmett's coming off of that really big knockout over uh, Cardo Lamas. I mean, he hasn't lost at featherweight ever. Because, uh, yeah, he was undefeated he before he got into the UFC. No, no, he had like six, he had four or five before he got to the UFC. I said two that fights featherweight. at featherweight in the UFC. In the oh, UFC. Right. Yeah. Two. yeah, but again, at featherweight overall, he's undefeated. Oh, and he didn't even make weight for Lamas. He did not Remember make weight for the Lamas fight. fight. That's true. So he has one win at featherweight in the UFC. Yeah. Um, whereas Jeremy Stevens uh, stopped Duho Choi. Okay, Stevens has had two really solid performances in a row. Frequently, that means he, you know, craps the bet on the third. Um, that's kind of the pattern he has as far as that goes. Because he had a really good stretch when he knocked out Dennis Bermudez. He lost to Max Holloway, but he didn't look bad. And Max Holloway is, you know, the best featherweight in the world. He beat Hennon Barrow. He was competitive with Frankie Edgar. He had that good stretch, and then he looked like a moron against Tanato Moicano. Gets back, has a great performance against Gilbert Melendez. Really good stuff against Duho Choi. Uh, question is, is this the time when uh falls apart for him? I don't think it will be. I kind of like Stevens here. He's good at he's good at stopping takedowns uh, that Emmett kind of relies on to set up the rest of his punching offense. 
He's not as sloppy a pocket striker as Ricardo Lamas. He's not as bad at thro- as Ricardo Lamas is at throwing naked kicks. That's what got him slept by Emmett in their fight was naked leg kicks. Don't throw him naked, guys. Got to set that up. Um, not a terribly compelling main event. I think five rounds actually favors Stevens. Um, he's the, just the type of guy who will wear you down. With his, not with wrestling and pace, but with power shots and kind of relentless pressure. I like Stevens here. Uh, I won't be terribly shocked if Emmett pulls something out, but I've, I favor Stevens. Uh, Pat, you've had a really kind of good feel for Stevens over the last couple of years. Is, is, is he going to, you know, is this where it all goes so wrong as he's kind of climbing back towards title contention? I don't think so. I... I... Look to the stylistic elements of this fight that you brought up. And unless Jeremy Stevens mentally checks out, this, which is not out of the question, mind you, the stuff that Emmett brings to the table is not necessarily what troubles Jeremy. Jeremy has trouble with really good, complex game plans of guys who can throw a lot of different things at him. You know, there's no shame in losing to Max Holloway. There's no shame in the way he lost to Frankie Edgar in a fight where he was largely in that fight. Some people argued he won it. I wasn't one of those people, but I definitely think he did a lot better than he was expected to. Um, Certainly had a really good round in there, if nothing else. Didn't he almost finish Frankie? I mean, everybody almost finishes Frankie. but (laughs) Granted. Um, but, But, you know, Emmett is very much, he has tools at his disposal, but if you watch him fight, he kind of leans on one and ignores the others until he can't anymore. He won't mix in his takedowns and striking. He'll try for one or the other almost exclusively. And then when he figures out he really can't make that work, then he'll go to the other. You can't do that with Jeremy Stevens. You have to vary your attack because if you're predictable, he's going to see it coming and he's going to figure out a way to fight against it. And he's a guy who's gotten better as he's gone on with varying his attack. He's not a one, a one dimensional grinding slugger anymore. He can mix it up. And it, if there's one area, I think he's impressed me with it's on the inside and hand fighting. Whereas he used to be a completely lost soul in doing that. He's much better in terms of people trying to take him down from a clinch and fighting against it. And I think if Emmett's going to take him down, it's going to be from a clinch scenario and it'll be interesting to see if, if Stevens is able to negate that with hand fighting and with good elbows like I've seen him throw lately. i like Stevens to continue the role here. All right. Jeff, what are your thoughts on this one? Does Emmett make weight, and does he win the fight? I think Emmett will make weight uh, this time, but I think Jeremy Stevens is going to win here. And um, Look, Stevens has his flaws, but I think, and this is a bit of a quick turnaround for him, but the reason he's taking this fight is because this is an opportunity for him to quickly, uh, I guess, to make a quick trip up the rankings, because Emmett is in a situation where he's ranked number four, and Stevens is number eight, but if he wins this fight, he's solidly basically in the top five right now, you know, which is something he's been looking for at Featherweight for the past several years. Uh, and also, let's not remember, Stevens has missed weight himself twice uh, when he was supposed to be fighting at Featherweight, so he's had True. he's had issues as well. 
No, I, um, I was giving Emmett a hard time there. That was that was a short notice fight, and he's never missed weight before. This is I mean, kind of this is kind of a short notice fight too, though. This fight came together very quickly, uh, as I recall. Um, Stevens is a, a. Let me think. I mean, let me let me see here. Steven Stevens is a is a fairly solid, well-rounded fighter, and I think he has a skill set that will be able to to beat Josh Emmett. I mean, yeah, Josh Emmett did knock out Ricardo Lamas, but and I'm not saying that was sort of like a fluky win, but I'm not convinced like Emmett's like a like an outstanding fighter here. But we'll see. Yeah, can the results be duplicated consistently is the question. Um, all right, co-main event. Boy, if I'm... Right, sorry, as Jessica Andrade should be a little bit annoyed she's not fighting for the belt. But uh, Jessica Andrade is fighting Tisha Torres. Uh, man, I think this is going to be a rough night for Tisha Torres. Um, <laughs> Torres is a really solid fighter. Like, I don't mean to undersell her, but she's only really good if she's going forward. Mm-hmm. Or if she if she can, you know, kind of get to the clinch or you know, beat you up with kicks and punches as she's going forward, kind of swarming you and overwhelming your defenses and freezing you in your offense. Unfortunately, she's fighting a woman who does nothing but go forward. I don't think there's a reverse gear in Jessica Andrade's brain or physiology. She might have a weird like knee condition that prevents her from going backwards. That's how consistent she is with this kind of unrelenting forward pressure. She looked great against Claudia Gedalia. Uh Her only loss at strawweight is to Joanna, and that's, I mean, A, Joanna's great, and B, that's a horrible stylistic fight. Like, I mean, when Jessica, you know, smoked Claudia the way she did, there were a lot of people questioning, like, well, where was this, you know, Jessica when she fought Joanna? Same Jessica, just Joanna was equipped to deal with it. Um, I really am not sure how Torres is going to handle the pressure of Andrade. I'm not sure that she's going to be able to fight moving backwards very well. I'm not confident in her angles. I'm not confident in her handling the transitions. Andrade has good takedowns when she bowls forward. She gets close, she'll take you down, she'll beat you up from there. Like Andrade is one of the better fighters in that division. In fact, if Andrade were fighting Rose, I would probably lean towards Andrade. Like just because of the style. Like Jessica's really good. I I favor her pretty heavily in this. Uh Pat you kind of seem to agree with me there be briefly. Uh, how do you see this going? Listen, the way to fight Jessica, especially at this weight, is to poke and evade her. Poke and evade. Prod and evade. And make her chase you, cut the angle, and don't let her engage you where she's comfortable. She's going to come forward. So you have to anticipate that by angling, circling. Land, get away. Land, get away. If you are a forward pressure-based fighter or if you are a grappler, there is not a good chance you're going to beat her. She's already beaten a world-class grappler in Claudia Gadella, who I think most people would agree in terms of pure grappling had a significant technical advantage. What she did not have was a strength advantage 
or a stamina advantage, and Jessica grinded, grinded her out and outlasted her, and that's why she won that fight. You don't beat her coming forward because her size, her strength, and her stamina are all there, and they're going to push you backward before you can push her backward. The Yolanda game plan will work. Strike her, flurry, move. Strike her, flurry, move. And that's how you do it. I have not seen the ability from Torres that would give me any confidence that she is able to do such a thing to Andrade. I think Andrade steamrolls her and goes on to a title shot. All right. Jeff, how do you see this one playing out? Are, are we all like pulling for – if Jessica Andrade's nickname isn't some tank derivation of tank in some language, I'm just going to be disappointed. Andrade is going to destroy Tisha Torres. Tisha Torres and this is going to be an ugly massacre Torres is not equipped to deal or fight with a monster like Jessica Andrade and this is going to this is going to be ugly um, and there's a reason Torres was not put in the running to fight uh, Rose Namajunas for the title even though she holds a win over her she's uh, not an exciting fighter um, and she she's a she's a one dimension. And let's be honest, she's a one dimensional grappler. Jessica Andrade is not. And uh, as long as Jessica Andrade is prepared to deal with Tisha Torres' takedowns and grappling, she's gonna murderize her. Dare I say, clubber her. Both of those are very likely, given her style. Uh, all right, a light heavyweight. God help us all. Uh, Owen St. Prue fights Ilir Latifi. Uh. <laughs> um, Latifi lost to Ryan Bader, beat Tyson Pedro. He's 4-1 and one in his last five. I mean, those wins are over Han Stringer, Sean O'Connell, John Vellante, and Tyson Pedro, but he's won them. Um, you know who loses this fight? The viewers. Robert Winfrey for having to do live coverage. Yeah. Um, St. Prue is on a three-fight winning streak. He submitted Marcos Rogerio de Lima and Yushin Okami with Von Fluchokes, and he caught Corey Anderson with a head kick in their fight after, I believe, losing the first two rounds. Um, I wish I could say I just hope it's over quickly, but neither of these guys are quick fighters. Like, they don't end things quickly. Um he's probably going to try to crash distance. St. Prue can deal with that. Uh, I'll go with St. Prue, but man, I don't want to watch this fight. Uh, Jeff, I'll stick with you because you've frequently had a positive perspective to my negative one on fighters, these two specifically, and how they match up. Uh, what do you see happening here? Uh, do we go with Laffy Taffy or OSP? OSP is going to win, and he's going to win once again with the Von Flew choke. Seriously, if you get caught with a Von Flew choke in the UFC, you should not be in the UFC. Look, either uh, Latifi, is, he's, a, he's a gatekeeper, he's a, and he's a decent gatekeeper, but he's still a gatekeeper. And he's going to get gatekeeped by OSP in the Von Flew choke, so just accept it. I mean, Latifi was a lower gatekeeper than Ryan Bader, and Ryan Bader was also a gatekeeper. Uh, Pat, help me out here. Anything I should be looking forward to about this fight, and how do you see it going? 
Uh, you should be looking forward to the end. Um, however it comes, when it comes, it, it will be merciful versus what preceded it. I will pick OSP to win for no other reason than he is probably more equipped and has had a better success rate against a better level of opposition. But I ain't looking forward to it. All right. You shouldn't either. Kicking off the main card, we have a fight I can be cautiously optimistic about. Mike Perry's back. And uh, good old Platinum there is fighting Max Griffin. Um, Perry lost to Ponzinibbio most recently, whereas Max Griffin, his nickname is Payne. Oh, that's such a that's such an MMA thing. Um, he lost to Elizu Zaleski dos Santos. He got finished by Colby Covington. I cannot pick this man in good conscience. I mean, losing to Colby Covington is one thing. Getting finished is a whole other thing. Uh, I think Mike Perry gets back on the horse here in pretty fan-friendly fashion. Uh, I, I like Perry's chances here. His face tattoo significantly less, but he's probably going to have a really good finish over Max Griffin. Uh, Pat, how do you see this going? And Do we get to see Mike Perry's rooster walk again? I have no idea who Max Griffin is, so yeah, I, I think we will. <laughs> uh, Jeff, uh, a dissenting opinion, or are you also with Perry here? Uh, I'll go with Mike Perry. Yeah, let's see. Alrighty. As yeah, for Mike the Perry. Pre- as for the prelims, Hennen Barrow is still a thing, apparently. Um, he's back at bantamweight. Yeah, he he had the catchweight fight with Sterling that they both agreed to. I uh, know that was mandated by the Athletic Commission. But he's still lost to Aljamain Sterling. His only win, geez, Felipe Nova in his last three, like four fights. Anyway, he's fighting Brian Kelleher. And uh, Kelleher beat Damian Stasiak. I kind of like Kelleher. I can't pick Barrow at this point, just like against anybody. Uh, Sarah McMahon is fighting Marion Renault. This fight will probably be distinctly uninteresting. And I kind of like both women, actually. Like uh, McMahon lost to random Brazilian Ketlin Vieja. That's it. Uh, Renault beat Talita Bernardo. That was a whooping, I seem to recall. She should have beat Betch Cohea. Um... Yeah, I'll go with McMahon. I'm not confident in that. Angela Hill fights Marina Morose. This should be Angela Hill's fight. She lost to Nina Ansaroff. That was kind of dubious. No, no, sorry, sorry. Wrong fight. No, that was that was pretty clean, actually. I'll go with Angela. Ben Saunders fights Alan Joban. That's a surprisingly compelling fight. Uh, Joban's lost his last two. The Gunnar Nelson and Nico Price. Saunders lost to Peter Sabata. I kind of like Saunders if they keep things technical. On Fight Pass, we have, geez, five fights. Um, Gilbert Burns fights Olivier Aubin-Mercier. This will be interesting because OAM has to grapple you to win, and that's kind of what Gilbert Burns wants you to do. He's a unbelievably decorated and talented jiu-jitsu practitioner. I, I kind of like Burns there. 
Uh, Sam Alvey. Smiling Sam. Up at light heavyweight, because you didn't have enough of a dad bod already, despite not being a parent. Um, is fighting Marcin Prochino? Prochnio? I don't know. Prochnio. That's what I'm going with until I hear otherwise. Sam better win this. I mean, if not, I'm just going to be so sad and he should not be in the UFC. Um, Ronnie Yaya's back, fighting Russell Doan. I like Yaya. Um, I like Yaya generally. Really underappreciated fighter. Uh, yeah, and Doan... Don't just snap to four-fight losing streak. Like, I, I think Yaya's going to smoke him on the mat. Eric Shelton fights Alex Perez. I think I know who Shelton is, and I don't believe I know who Perez is. So I'll go with Shelton. And at bantamweight, Albert Morales fights Manny Bermudez. Morales. Why is he still in the UFC? What is his poll here? Was he on some tough season or something? No, it's just Albert Morales. All right. He better win that fight. Uh, this is as, as gimme a fight as he's going to get. And if he loses, he, uh, happy trails. All right, Jeff, anything stick out to you from the, that group of prelims? Anything you're looking forward to? Let's see. Uh, Head and Brow fighting. Uh, Sarah McMahon fighting. I like Sarah McMahon, and I just kind of want to see how she's going to rebound from that loss to Ketlin uh, Vieira. Uh, I think Angela Hill, Marina Morose, uh will be a decent fight. And I like the Ben uh, Saunders, Alan Joban fight. I'm a big fan of uh, both of those guys. So, And, Robert, I know you're excited about Sam Alvey fighting at light heavyweight. This could be just the shot in the arm the division needs. So I'm sure you're drooling over his fight um, for this card. Your sarcasm aside, you might not be inaccurate about him becoming a player in the division, and that's the profoundly sad thing. Uh, Pat, there's some decent names on that group of fights. What are you looking forward to? Uh, I'm all about smiling Sam Alby, one of the nice guys of MMA, uh, hoping he gets a win here, and that because 205 is a dumpster fire, it moves him significantly up the rankings to the point where I can actually envision a Sam Alvey title fight happening. He won't win because he's Sam Alvey, but I'll at least get to see him in a title fight, which is something I never thought I would see in the UFC. Uh, aside from that, I've never been sold on Sarah McMahon, but I look forward to seeing how she rebounds from this unexpected loss to Vieja. Um, it could be interesting to see if she has developed at all. Henan Burrell was recently training in New Jersey at the invitation of one of his best friends, Claudia Gadelha. However, New Jersey is a garbage pile, so I don't think he's going to win. <laughs> All righty. And that will be Saturday the 24th. I will have live coverage in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania, as usual, so stop by, say hello. I'm probably going to need the support. That's Those are... Those are some weird cards back to back. If you put them like if you took the good fights from both of them, you might have a really you might have a pretty decent Fox card minus a compelling main event. But oh well. Uh all right. We have about a minute of live time left and I'm watching religiously over the overrun nowadays because blog talk is wildly inconsistent. So Jeff, any major news items we want to touch on before we do plugs and sign off? 
Uh, yes. Yeah, so we have uh, basically our new card set for UFC 22 uh, just a few weeks from now, March 3rd. So now it will be Chris Cyborg defending her title against Yana uh, Kunitskaya from Russia. Um, she will be making her UFC uh, debut. Uh, she was uh, the Invicta Bantamweight champion, so she's moving up to fight Chris Cyborg. What happened here is Max Holloway got injured, so he fell out of the, the title fight with Frankie Edgar. Frankie Edgar has opted to stay on the card, and now he is fighting in the co-main event against Brian Ortega. So that's basically your new title eliminator there. Um, I say it's props to Frankie Edgar. That Ortega-Edgar fight. fight is great. And I say props to Frankie Edgar for taking this fight, and he's taking a big risk here. But, I, you know, look, I think sometimes you just you just got to do it because, I mean, if you, if you keep – because if he, if he decided to wait for Max Holloway, there's still no guarantee that fight will still happen. Because, you know, in this day and age, guys are always getting hurt, guys are always getting injured, and then, you know, there could be some other catastrophe. So, uh, and and this is also a big opportunity for Ortega, even if it's a, a short-notice fight. He's uh, This is his opportunity to get in there in the title mix uh, very quickly. So, all in all, um, you know, props to... You know, props to Frankie Edgar and Ortega for, you know, taking this, putting this fight together and helping to save the card. And, and Chris Cyborg, for that matter, um, even though, you know, it's pretty much a, everyone's pretty much expecting her to just clobber uh, Kunitskaya, even even if she's coming in as the Invicta champion of uh, lower weight class. Uh, Kunitskaya had actually announced she was moving up to featherweight well before uh, she signed this fight. Like, after she won the Invicta bantamweight title, she announced her intentions to go up to featherweight. The so I don't know. I don't favor her at all. She's primarily a grappler, but at least the move up was intentional, regardless of cyborg. Basically, uh, Pat, real quickly that uh, that Ortega Edgar fight. Uh, yeah, we'll do more in depth preview before the actual fight. But I mean, that's a darn good fight. That's about as good a fight as you can make, especially on short notice. Uh, in agreement with Jeff, uh, props to Frankie Edgar for being willing to take on that fight instead of sit on a title shot. He's going to fight a very dangerous young game opponent who I actually like in the fight, but we'll get more into that as time comes to preview it. I'm kind of with you there, actually, especially over just three rounds. Uh, over five, things change, but over three. Again, we'll get into that later. Uh, all right. I think that's that was the major news. Is kind of the restructure of UFC 222, which really needed it after Max Holloway got injured. Not blaming Holloway at all. That was an incredibly weak card with a great main event. Was what it used to be. Now it's so so. Uh, all right, Jeff, what do you got to plug? Uh, we'll be out for a couple of weeks. All right. So, so uh, Fifty Shades Free. Check out my review of what will probably turn out to be one of the worst movies of the year. Uh, if that's of any interest, uh, I'm seeing Black Panther Tuesday night, so I'll have an early review up for that. I know my interview with Paige Van Zandt fell through, and that was not my fault. Uh, I think it was just sort of more along the line. You know, we were hoping to do it before her fight, and then she ended up uh, losing her last fight, and now she's engaged. So, uh, I Jeff, I just but- want to go on record. I don't blame you in the least. I blame her horrible camp. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, well, we tried to make it happen, but even though that fell through, I have a very good feeling that I'm very confident that an interview will be happening soon with me and uh, UFC fighter Mickey Gall. I have a very good feeling that this is happening, and um, it's not it's not 100%, but I have a very good feeling that this is that this is going to be happening very soon, and uh, and we seem to be in a good place with his PR team. So. Uh, please, Mickey Gall. Uh, please, Mickey Gall's PR team. Let's make this happen uh, for Four One Mania. So yeah. Alrighty. I will. Thank you guys. Probably. I will see you in a couple of weeks, Jeff. Pat, what would you like to plug? I know you've had a charity thing going on for the last little bit. Yeah. Um, so I got pretty lucky after the Super Bowl uh, with some windfall in my way, and I donated to a cause that's very near and dear to my heart. It's the Shriners Children's Hospitals. Um, Shriners is an organization that takes children with severe disabilities, such as missing limbs, deformed limbs, cleft palates, um, who really struggle with the ability to live a normal life. And they're from families that have a low income and can't afford the medical necessities that it would take to give these kids a normal life. So Shriners on donations and charity basically takes these children till the age of 18 and is able to give them what they need. And it's such a great organization. There are many Shriners locations throughout the United States. The closest one to me is in Philadelphia, but you can go to love Shriners. That's L O V E S H R I N E R S dot org. And if you'd like to make a donation, which I highly recommend, uh, there are multiple hospitals throughout the United States that are probably closed. There's probably at least one close to you, if not two. If you'd like to donate, uh, it's a great cause. The money is used responsibly. It's not like you're donating to an unknown face and you can't locate where the money goes to. Uh, It's a really awesome organization, whether you can do a one-time donation, a monthly donation. I highly recommend it. All right. Anything else you want to plug before we before I do mine and we close up? That's all for this week, Robert. All right. As for me, again, you can find my report for UFC 221, and you will find my upcoming coverage of those events in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. Not this Tuesday, but next Tuesday, Damn You Hollywood will be back, and Mark Radlich and I will review Black Panther. Uh, the critics seem to love it at the moment. And you'll get the full story from us. And we're more than happy to yell at the critics if we think they're not doing their jobs right. So be nice to get that up, get, you know, that show back for it's kind of off and on until we get into uh, March. Like more into May is when things really take off. But you can look forward to that for those of you who might enjoy Mark and I reviewing movies that will be coming up in a couple of weeks on Tuesday. And I think that's everything I have at the moment. Again, we'll be back not next week because of my coverage, but in two weeks, that'll be the 25th, and we will have the reviews of both of those events, and I believe we will be previewing UFC 222. 24th to the 3rd. Yeah, we will have a preview of UFC 222. Cyborg versus Kunitskaya, Frankie Edgar and Brian Ortega in the co-main event, and the rest of that card is the... Yeah, it's not good. UFC wants Sean O'Malley to be big, so they're giving him an easy fight. Stefan Struve and Andre Arlovsky are fighting, and Katz and Gano is fighting Ketlin Vieja. That one might not actually be bad, but 
Elsewhere on the card, you have C.B. Dalloway fighting, because God hates me. Uh, they rescheduled... Oh, Dodson and Munoz got moved to this card. It's a good fight. Brian Caraway's on the prelims, also because God hates me. Like, Brian Caraway's existence is proof that God hates humanity. Anyway. So we'll have a full preview of that event in two weeks. Until then, everyone, I'm Robert Winfrey for Pat and Jeff. Thank you again for listening. Please continue to be well, be safe, and behave. Thank <laughs> you.